Awesome. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Um, in the first service, I was back in the booth. And then I come in here in the second service and um, just, you know, I don't know, just to be honest, like, when, I, I don't know, like, when we sing like that, here's my heart, Lord, God, boy, I can preach on this, boy, I, I got to give my heart again and again and again to Him, and just sitting there listening to that and singing to Him, man, it's like you're, you're, it's like going, it's a little bit transcendent, like you get a touch of heaven in those moments, like, that's what it will be like when we get to sing to Him. And then I'm reflecting on all the things He's done in my life. Man, what else can I do? But here's my life, God. Here's my heart. That, isn't that true for us? This one, I don't, Kyle said it. I don't know how, what your mindset was walking in here. Sometimes mine's not always in the right place. I might be ticked off about something. Um, you know, with my kids or something like that. Never with my wife, but... Or something went wrong, I don't know, and or I got some coffee and I drank the end of it and I got the coffee grounds and I, you know, something's not, but now I walk in here and I sing something like that and I hear that being led in worship to the king. It's like, man, I am reminded, and I said this a few weeks ago, I will say it again and again, we need to, and it doesn't matter what the weather, you should come because you're reminded of why you're here on this earth. You're reminded of the king who gave us life for you. That, he, that the response, the natural reaction that we should have to what He's done for us in our lives, when our eyes are open to the beauty of God, and He's the one who does that, it's the work of His Spirit in your life. The natural response is, oh, this is my life. It's yours. Do what you want to. And so thank you guys that led in that, um, all of you, and the work that you put in that ushers us, I feel like, you just like bring us up to the throne of God. You go, he is worthy of my life. Here, here's my heart, God. Some of you potentially in this room, you, you've never actually done that. But you've never presented your heart before God and said, here, you take my heart, you take my life, it's all yours. And you're still alienated from that relationship. You're cut off because of your sin, a holy and righteous God who desires a relationship with you. But you can't do enough to get to him. You have to rely on Jesus and you invite him into your life. You begin that relationship with Him. And transformation takes place. It's not just some magical prayer to get out of hell. But He totally transforms your life. That's the Jesus that I know. And that so many of you in this room know. But there could be potentially some in here who've never done that. And that this morning, there's no accident that you showed up here. And you're hearing the gospel right now. That your need for Jesus is tremendous. You can't do anything to get to Him, to get to God without Jesus, without His sacrifice. If you just lay down and say, here's my life, here's my heart. Come into my life. Save me. Make me new. Man, He did that to me. He did that to so many of you. But could it be this morning, that's never happened for you. And God's got you here for a purpose and for a reason. I would love to, at the end of this, uh, of this message, any of, any, so many people here that you know recognize that would love to just lead you in that just to begin that relationship so um man it's always always good for me to be here it's always good for me to be here it doesn't matter if i like the song choice i'm reminded because the, the songs every song we sing is theologically correct and it, and it points me to jesus and i need to hear it but i sure like that last song i like it. it's got a good groove and it's, you know, it's good. And then the lyrics in it are like, pow. Man, that's good. I need to hear that. And I need to sing that. And he's worthy of my life. And so, man, praise God for that. Hey, uh, my name's Kent. If I don't know you, I'm one of the elders here. Ryan, our teaching pastor, is out on sabbatical still. And he's come back, coming, come back. He's going to come back sometime in the next, I don't know, year. Um, <laughs> It's correct, right? I mean, it's between now and a year. I think he'll be back. No, it's the next few weeks he'll be back. So uh, we're looking forward to having him, him back. And so um, if you were here before, I preached a few weeks ago, and I was supposed to wrap up Hebrews, and I kind of did, but then I kind of didn't. 
and I didn't feel, since it was just wide open, I could preach on anything. I'm like, i got to go back and finish Hebrews. And at, as our practice is here at City Church, we walk through books of the Bible. We don't typically uh, pick a topic and just choose, you know, how to win at life or whatever. We, um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but we're, we choose a book of the Bible and go through it. And we go through it verse by verse. And we can't, you can't avoid Scripture. You've got to deal with what's there in the text. And so I didn't, honestly, I just didn't get through chapter 13, and which is not a shock to most of you that I wouldn't get through with that. But um, I got through verse 14, I think, but we're going to actually backtrack. This morning, um, my daughter came in and asked me if I was um, preaching. She said, is it going to be intense? And I'm like, I'm like, well, the fat dog heavy. Uh, of course it's going to be intense. How do you, how you not, I don't know. I don't know how you get bored with this. And you start talking about Jesus, you, you should show some passion, I feel like. It's hard not to. If he's changed your life, and you know he's the secret and the key to all of life, and you know and experience that, then you should be passionate about that. And it should show. And so, this morning I'm, I'm excited to, to preach this message again after I preach it last hour, and it's usually a little bit different every time I do this. But I'm excited to, to just get into it here uh, with you. Here's a special Sunday for you, though, just kind of a up, um, kind of a just let you know. It's we're finishing Hebrews, but a lot of churches around the world celebrate and recognize a Sunday. Usually, it's in the first part of November, but we because this worked out with the scripture, it really fits in nicely. Um, but the the Sunday is called Orphan Sunday, and it's where their church is a focus. The, the local church around the world is focused on the orphan. And I had James written one because it's, you can flip the page over from Hebrews 13, you go straight into James, which is one of my favorite books. And it's got some powerful stuff in there. We just read some of it. And that's something you don't just cruise through and go, okay, go on about my day. It's like verse by verse. It's boom, 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 boom. It's just hitting you over the head with good stuff in a good way. And at the end of that, of that chapter 1, it talks about that pure and true religion is when you, we care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And, boy, we could go on a lot of, on, on, could talk for a long time on that, but I will just tell you this. Today we get to celebrate that or recognize that there are orphans around the world, and we all should be, just like in missions. You've heard me say this. All of us. I'm not, and neither, uh, you know, whatever each area of our interest that we we gravitate toward. People have said that about me. Whether you're the missions guy, no, we are all the missions guy. Well, you're the orphan guy, no, we're all the orphan people. We're all we're all involved. What is Jesus' heart? If His heart is for it, then that's our heart. We are to model ourselves after Him, right? Amen, amen. I'll say it. Amen, Kent. Amen. It's the truth. Amen. We are to model our lives after Him, and so His heart is very clearly. And I could list off the whole message could be on this. His heart is for kids, orphaned and vulnerable kids around the world. And, um, you know, Pat and I are headed to, uh, to India on Saturday. And in Mumbai, India alone, it's estimated there's over 100,000 street kids. 100,000 kids that live on the street who have been orphaned, either their parents have died or they've been abandoned, or some of them, to be honest, because I've worked with, with a lot of them for a lot of years, they, they'll be knucklehead teenagers who say, I don't want anything to do with you, and they leave. And the parents are like, well, good riddance and be gone. So 100,000 in that one city alone. But there are more than 100 million estimated orphans around the world. 100 million. And I know that's just a huge number that you kind of like, uh, doesn't mean much to you. But they're made up of little boys and girls and teenage boys and girls who are living without the knowledge of Jesus and live without any kind of um, understanding of what it is to live with hope, to have any understanding of that they matter. And part of my own story of how I do what I do now is that God put me in touch with some street kids back in 2010 or 11. But all along the way, I've run into them, and God just moved in my heart to where um, I knew I could not, I couldn't just walk away from it. Once you're faced with the reality of what the, the brokenness of the world and that there is a hope that can be brought into a situation to just turn and walk away, I personally just, not that I'm better than anybody, it was just God's call on my life that I knew that he called me to do that. 
And so today I'm going to read the story, and this scripture will head right into it in Hebrews. Um, I'm going to read the story of a little girl that potentially you could make a difference in. But I want to remind you in Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews and what it's about, and just kind of a, a recap of the whole book, okay? Some of y'all, um, maybe you've never read it, and some of you have You've read it, and you've studied it, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. One thing I did mention a few weeks ago, if you weren't here, was that you take Hebrews 13, and you read it every day. Just read that chapter. I heard from one person I know, particularly, that did it every day. Because this particular chapter is loaded with such rich truth, and it's like it's like I said about James, just powerful points again and again and again. And let me remind you, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he's getting to chapter 13. And I, I picture him running out of room on his paper to write. He's at, he can't go to office depot, so he's got to finish on this one sheet of paper. He's on the, si- on the back side. He's finishing. He's, and chapter 13 is him going, I'm summing up everything. Things that you need to know. And Hebrews was written, the writer of Hebrews was writing to a people who were immersed in Judaism. Okay? They were Jewish, and they were tempted to leave to leave what would be the grace of God, to understand the gospel, what Jesus did to fulfill all the, all the prophecies. and all He fulfilled the law, the 613 laws, the rules of the law that it required. Jesus came and said, I'm fulfilling all of it. And it's because of my grace that you now have a relationship with God. They were tempted to leave the grace of God and go back to the former way in Judaism. And they were, they were tempted in such a way that, that many of them actually were probably doing it. And they were, they were tempted to settle for religious activity, which, hello, this could be true right now where we are right here. I grew up in a very legalistic background, but they were tempted to settle for religious activity that was absent from a relationship with Jesus. You hear me? They were tempted, just like you are right now, to settle for religious activity that was completely absent from a, a true transformational walk with Jesus. That if I just, this is me growing up. Why well, if you go to church, if I listen to Christ, if I listen to Christian music, if you share your faith, if you go to visitation on Tuesday night in my church, you are one of the you're one of the select few. God's really pleased with you, and it was almost like you, God was unhappy with you if, if for somehow your your radio dial went to something other than um, whatever station was back then. It's because I'm so old. You didn't have anything but just a radio. <laughs> you had eight tracks. You don't even know what eight tracks are, young people. But anyway, you had to wait for a long time for that song to come back around. You like it, right? But if you listen to something like that, it's like, hand of God's off of you. He's so displeased with you. And so it was about following a bunch of steps of going, I got to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and then he'll, be, I mean, made right before him. Folks, that's not, that's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. I have right standing with Jesus and with God, with God because of Jesus, because of the sacrifice he paid for me. I receive his grace, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Because I walk with him, because I'm in that relationship, because I have positional holiness with him, because I'm made right before God, because his holiness was like a blanket, a warm blanket on a cold day, unfortunately, it's going to get cold. I can't stand the cold weather. But you imagine a big warm blanket coming over you in a cold, cold weather. That holiness, the blanket of holiness put on me. Not because of anything I did, but because Jesus is just that good. And that's why, again, I would go back to say, that's why you sing, here's my heart, Lord. Here, here's my life. Because he said, I'm putting this on you, holiness. And I'm made right, and you don't have to do a stinking thing for it, son. Now, I want you to. I want you to live. James says, faith without works is dead. It's not required, but it is a response. Listen to me. I would share my faith with somebody not to earn favor with God. It's, it's, a, it's a reflection. It's a response. It's a reflex. It's a reflex, right? It's a reflex of, of my love for him because of what he's done. I would be generous with everything I have. Not because I want to earn favor, because if he'll be good, he'll think I'm good, and he'll, he'll love me, or he'll, he'll be approved of me. No, I give and I'm generous. In the model in the New Testament of radical generosity, I'd be radically generous because of the response that, of what he's done on the inside of my heart. 
And so when you look at Hebrews and you see people, they're no different than you are. Tempted to jump back and jump through a bunch of hoops to try and earn favor with God that was absent from a relationship with Jesus. And that's not it, folks. The gospel is he did it for you. So that when you see that and recognize that, mm, that relationship changes your life, changes everything, where you just, it's a natural response, and then you go, well, here's, here I am. It's all you. My life is yours. Everything I have, everything I own, all my kids, all my future, all my plans, everything, all my dreams, it's all yours, Jesus, because you're worth it. John Piper said this about the book, and I want to remind you about what he said because it's such a powerful quote. He said, the Hebrews is radically and practically calling for outrageous choices. When's the last time you made an outrageous choice on behalf of Jesus? It's calling for outrageous choices and acts of risk-taking love on the basis of the promises that God will be all that we need as we run the grace for his glory. It's calling for you to be outrageous about your faith, to take risk for your faith, that whole book of Hebrews. And so as a recap, real quickly, I'm going to run through... I had nine or ten points I made that day, but it's just a reminder. And I would encourage you again this week that you go back and read Hebrews 13. You just say, I'm going to make that every day. It takes you a minute or two. If you're a slow reader, three minutes, I don't know. Soak on it. And read Hebrews 13 and say, God, speak to me through your word. That's how he speaks, by the way. That's his primary way of speaking to you is through his word. So take two minutes tomorrow morning and you go, I'm going to read Hebrews 13. Put a reminder on your phone. I'm going to read Hebrews 13 today. So here's a few points from it. The first one was that it says show brotherly love, that we love, that our love would look different than the rest of the world. As Jesus said, they'll know you by your love. And so when someone treats you, mistreats you in a horrible way, the world would never love someone like that, but you would because Jesus changed your life. Because he's worked so much in your heart that he changes the way you treat people. And it's obvious to a watching world there's something different about you. And so love each other. They will know you by your love. The second point was show hospitality. The point uh, of the first two verses in Hebrews 13 is this. Listen to me. We all need to hear this. Um, it's to bring people into your homes for the purpose of sharing the gospel with them. That's what's happening to these people that he was writing to. They forgot the mission. The, they were very tempted to forget the mission God had given them. Hello, that's for us as well. I'm oft, often tempted to forget the mission that God's given me. And that, that mission is to know him and make him known. To make much of him in my life. To go and make disciples, not just in my neighborhood, but of all nations. That's why I would say, again, not say we're all that. We're not. But patting our head in India. Working with disciples to make more disciples there. So Don, I know why, why Don does what he does. Many of you who make disciples here. But that's, that's what happens is, is that he works in our life and we say we want to... Make, don't, help me not to forget the mission to go and make disciples. I'm to know him and make him known. So that's the point of the first two verses. The third point was love the imprisoned, have an outward focus. Be mission-minded. Don't forget why you're here on this planet. The fourth thing, which I was talking to Heath earlier about these points. This one seems out of place. Like, what? But again, the writer is finishing up going, i got to just finish this very quickly. What are the important points they need to remember? And it was this one. You need to treat marriage and, and view it in a very high respect, have high respect for marriage. If we look to Ephesians, what Paul wrote in Ephesians, we know this about marriage. It is a picture of what? It's a picture of the gospel. It, and he says it in there. It was a mystery that's been held for a long time, but now it's been revealed that marriage is a picture. Listen to me. It's a picture of, of our relationship with him, the church, with Jesus. It's a picture of the gospel. And so, I don't know what state your marriage is in this morning. Could be really great, could be terrible. Could be on the brink of divorce. But I'm telling you this, it is meant to, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, your marriage is to point other people to Jesus. And the way I treat my spouse, the way you treat your spouse, man, that's a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. Let's just be honest. The way you treat your spouse, and others, by the way, but let's just stick with spouse. If you're married... It's a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. It's totally a picture of your, uh, of your relationship with him. So if you're really struggling in your relationship with Jesus, it's likely that you're going to struggle in your marriage. But you know what? The reverse is also true. When you're walking with Jesus, your other relationships, no matter how somebody else treats you, 
oh, man, the fruit of the Spirit are just evident in your life, and so the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat others, coworkers, other family members, you have more patience, you have more self-control of your mouth and what's said, your actions, you look at yourself and view yourself as a servant, a Philippians 2 mindset of it's all about Jesus and I'm here to serve, everyone else is better than me, you view your spouse in the same way, it points to Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews, it looks like, he's like, what did he throw this in for? It's because your marriage is a picture of the gospel. That, that's why you're here, is to point people to, to Jesus. That's the gospel. That's why you're here. The fifth thing I said was keep free, or he says, is you keep your life free from the love of money. Hold everything loosely. Hold it loosely. You know this, um, I bet you're like me. I'll be transparent and tell you, I struggle with materialism. Like, I, I really do. I have them my whole life. I see the latest and greatest of everything, and I want all of it. I do. I want that. I, I see it on TV. I watch that stupid cowboy game later, and, um, and um, I'll see those commercials and go, yep, I want that. I want that. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I'm going to look that up. I like that. I, I want all of it. And it's real easy to lose focus on why I'm here. Boy, it is so easy. Say, well, I want that. Well, I can afford that. Meanwhile, our giving to the kingdom, not just financially, but in every way, the way we share our faith, the lack of it, the lack thereof of sharing our faith, uh, of our resources being all used for him, it goes by the wayside because I want this and that. You know what? The, the Randy Alcorn says this, this is a... Great line, you should remember it. The, the cure, the antidote for materialism is giving. The antidote. You want to be free from materialism? It's a good way to do it. He is exactly right. As you start being generous. And the model that we have in the New Testament is not percentage-based. Guys, you hear this? It is wildly irrational being generous. I mean, just where it hurts, where you sacrifice for Jesus. Because if you come to know him for who he is, it's a response to be be generous. I'm going to be so generous. How can I meet that need? How can I do that? The sixth thing which goes along with it, be content. Will his presence with you be enough for you when life crumbles and falls down and everything, that all your expectations just go by the wayside and none of them are met? Will his presence with you be enough for you when those times come? Seventh thing, realize that God's there to be your helper in all things. He is there to be your helper. When you came to know Christ, he said, I'll never leave. If you know Christ, he said, I'll never leave. Despite your being a fool sometimes. And, and I act like a fool. He said, well, there you go again. I ain't going nowhere, though. He's my helper. He's your helper in all things. So no matter what it is you feel like you need help in, he is right there saying, I'm here to be your helper. Uh, the eighth thing was imitate those who proclaim the word. Find someone ahead of you in their walk with Christ. Maybe somebody older. Could be somebody younger. I've seen, we have some, we have some students in our student ministry that are just, they're incredible. They have to be older, but find somebody who's far along in their faith that can help you and model out for you and mentor you in your walk with Christ. Again, these are points he's making at the very end of the letter going, this is what they need to remember. This is what they need to remember. So it's kind of important, don't you think? It's kind of important. So find someone who's farther along in their faith than you are to keep you accountable, to help you and encourage you. Number nine was cling to Jesus, the one who never changes. He never changes. So cling to him in all parts of life. And then the tenth thing was don't be led away by strange teaching. Feast on God's word every day. You should know your Bible. You should know what you believe. You should not be led away by a bunch of strange teaching. And let me tell you, there's no shortage of that around. There's not. So you need to know your Bible. And how do you know your Bible? Because you spend time in it. And because you come here and you're committed to being here and hearing the word exposed and, and, and shared with you. Not that we're professionals and we got it all figured out. We don't. We're studying and, re and reading and hearing from God, being inspired by God, but we all need to know that so that, hey, you know what? You're prone to being led, led astray. Every one of us are. So we need to be accountable to each other and go, what is, but what does the Word of God say? I know he said that, but what does the Word of God say? Just like in anything I say this morning, weigh it against God's Word. I might be wrong. I can, I'm prone to say anything. I'm very much prone to say whatever. So test it against God's word, okay? So then we, those are the 10 points, all right? So there's your recap of uh, 
of the first 10 verses or so, or 9 verses. So verse 10, let's pull this up on the screen, verse 10 through 13. I want to make a really, I want to bring up something about Orphan Sunday through this passage. All right, it says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. You're like, what in the world is this talking about? For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Oh, this is key. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Is there another verse? Is that it, Ben? I think that's it. All right, so you're looking at that and you go, I understood all the other stuff. I don't know about that. What the heck's that talking about? Let me tell you, just not to go into some massive, long, long explanation on this, but when he talks about going outside the camp, he's talking about the dirtiest, the hardest, the despised, the poor, the needy, the dangerous places, all of that. And he's saying, you got to go there with him. That Jesus, the reason he came was to go to these places, not to avoid them. He went to the hard places. He went to the dangerous places. And Jesus is saying to all of us, he's saying, come this way. Come over here. This is where you're going to find life. This is what your mission is, is to go after people who've never heard. This is your mission, to go where the poor and the needy are. This is your mission, the people who are lost, who think that this world is offering them hope, and it's not. It's going to end in a dead end. Come over here. This is why you're here. This is why you're on planet Earth. This is why you were born. Every one of us, in your job that you, that you work every day, in, in the neighborhood that you live in, the talents and skills that you have, he's saying, come over here. I want to use you right here to make much of me through your life. Today, with it being Orphan Sunday, I was, um, I was in Sierra Leone, West Africa. And I, guys, not to... This is just probably like Don. Don's probably been in more places than I have. But I've been serving in mission work for many years. And I think I've been to fi- around 50 countries. And I've seen the worst of the worst, I feel like, and been among the poor and the needy. And going among those places just to share Jesus with people. And I've seen God do work. Not in this, nothing to pat me on the back at all. But I've seen such poverty around the world, but I've never seen it like I saw it in Sierra Leone. And I saw kids who were living on the streets. The two kids that back in 2011, where I'm standing there and I know exactly where I was, and I met a couple boys that were about my kids' age at the time. And then in the middle of the night, the parents left left the home and never came back. And the boys woke up. Parents gone. They, had no, they didn't even know what to do. They're little kids. Nowhere, nowhere to go. No, don't know what to do. So what do they do? They go to the street to survive. They don't go to school. You've got to pay for school. They don't have any way of just making it. So they work all day in a market just buy a bowl of rice. And I remember standing there and going, I can't not do something. I can't not. And Jesus is saying to each of us about that need of orphans and kids around the world and mission of people who've never heard. He's saying, come on. This is where the mission is. Come on. Don't just stay right where you are. The writer of Hebrews is saying that to them. You can't stay in your little bubble of Judaism. You've got to come out of the bubble and make much of Jesus. You've got to leave that. Live in the grace of God. And that's what he's calling. We have a girl here among many of them that um, that I could, I could read this morning. Her name is Sunkari. This little girl out here. She lives in Sierra Leone, West Africa. One of the poorest places I've ever been. Here's her story real quick. She's 11 years old. She was living with her dad and her stepmom until 2020 in Sierra Leone. Stepparents, this is such a common story. They typically do not embrace kids who are not their own biological children. All their money, attention, and focus goes to biological children. Stepchildren are neglected, pushed away, usually pushed out of the home. Said, go make it on your own, no matter what age it is. This is Sunkari's story. Her stepmom began lying to her father about bad things Sunkari had did while he was away and would make up stories about her to turn her dad against her. Sadly, her father believed the stepmom. So they kicked her out of the home at the age of nine. And having nowhere to go, she was taken in by a witch doctor. This sounds like something happens in Melissa. No, I don't think so. Um, taken in by a witch doctor. Our, one of our workers there found out that the witch doctor was sending her out to sell food every day. She was walking really far distances by herself to make money for him. The man would take the money from her every day to pay for food and his rent. 
to keep her place in the home. If she came home without enough money, she would be beaten. Our guys there working began looking for somewhere else for her to live. And the grandmother of a girl who is in our ministry there currently said she was willing to take her in. So she's been living with this family for over a year now. It's been really hard on this grandmother because she grows and sells vegetables for a living. That's all she does to provide. She already struggles to feed her small family already. She already provides for the two grandkids, and she can't assist Sunkari with anything more than daily meals. And so this little girl out here, look, nobody's putting any pressure on any of us. What I'm doing is I'm saying that there's kids like this, Sunkari, that I'm praying to God that they will change her life because it will change her life to be put back in school, to say, I'm going to come with you, Jesus, outside the camp. I'm not trying to twist your arm, but I'm saying, this is a real girl. I don't know her. I will know her in January. But I know tons and tons of other ones of similar stories just like it of kids who've, who've suffered and who've been abandoned and neglected and orphaned or whatever it is. And Jesus is calling and saying, hey, my mission is all over the world. Get engaged with what I'm doing. And that's when I read that chapter 13, verse 10 through 13. I'm thinking, go outside the camp. Jesus, I want to join you. Where are you at? That's where I want to be. I want to go with you outside the camp. And you have the opportunity to do that this morning. So we have a table out there um, that you can go by and look. No one's forcing you again. There's not any pressure in that. But, man, I would love for you. You've got tons of kids who need people like you to say, I'll come in on a monthly basis and pray for them, be an advocate for them. You have the opportunity to do that. So when you leave today, you can stop by one of those tables. Verse 14, it says this, For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Never Listen to me. Never forget and be reminded this morning. Because it's too easy for us to slip into this. We think that this is all there is. Never forget, this place is not your home. I live at 3211 Berry Hollow. That is my temporary home. It is not a forever home. And it goes back to being materialistic. Like, this is all for me. This is what I'm doing. And God's calling, listen to me. God's calling each of us this morning to remember, this is not your final place here. Okay? It's not. At best, you get 100 years to live. And I'm, well, I'm over halfway now. I hope, I don't think I'll make it to 100, but whatever time I do have, I want to spend it for the king. Spend it for him. And remember, this is not my home. So we need to be reminded of that today. And the writer does a good job there. Verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Everybody just take a deep breath. All right, take a deep breath. Gift of God. That was a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Every single thing that you have, even the air that you just breathe, is a gift from God. And so instead of complaining about the things that we don't have or the injustice that we have to some supposedly maybe go through or bad things that happen, we instead should look and say, God, everything, I will return praise to you and everything. That The praise... Uh, of you is on my lips all the time, continually on my lips. And so this morning, when we see rain on the ground, that's a gift from God. The, the space that we have here this morning is a gift from God. When you eat lunch later today, that you may think, oh, it's just I went and bought something at Golden Chick. No, you didn't. It was a gift from God to you. He gave you the money to buy. He provided everything for you. And so our lives, as a follower of Jesus, the writer's reminding us, remember this. This is one of the last things I want to tell you. Let everything you do, just continually be praising God. See, everything is a gift from Him. Remember, all of every good and perfect thing, everything that's good, is a gift from Him. As Colossians reminds us, we were made by Him, we were made for Him. And so He's all about, hey, everything we have, is, it's all about Him. To thank Him, remind ourselves today that we should be thanking Him for everything. Verse 16, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Was it in James that says, to the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him and his sin? If you know to do something good, if you know you should, then he's saying right here, then do it because it's going to point to Jesus. Do good. Hey, let me ask you this. At your workplace, when you have the chance, or maybe it's at home, maybe it's with your spouse, and you could do something without the other person finding out or someone at work finding out, and no one will ever find out. No one will ever find out. But it's not the right thing. That's a, that's a lack of integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one will ever find out. No one will ever find out. But you choose to because Jesus 
has moved in your life and changed your life so much that you live to please Him. That's my goal. I just want to please you. You'll know God. But it's not even that. I just I want to be like you. So I'm going to choose to have integrity. I'm going to do good. I'm going to share everything, anything that I have. It's, it's, I'm a manager. I'm a steward of what I have. He owns it. So I'm going to be good to other people. I'm going to share what I have. For such sacrifices are what? Pleasing to God. Don't you want to live a life that's pleasing to Him? Uh, absolutely. Verse 17, obey your leaders. Submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That's speaking to leaders within the church. It doesn't really matter what position of leadership that you have. You're serving or whatever in this church in some way. If you're a partner, you're serving somewhere. You're leading out. And so what does he say here? Obey your leaders to submit to them. I, I would even take this and point you to Philippians 2. It says, we're, our model is Jesus who emptied himself. Who the model is that we would think of others as more highly than ourselves. So any leadership, any leader in here, in any leadership position, we should see ourselves in, as people who look at others and say, you're more important than me. Can you imagine what a world would look like if we all lived that way? That said, Kyle, you're more important than me. And Kyle said, no, you're more important than me. And I say this to, to Brooks over here, and he says, uh, you're more important than me. I say, no, you're more important than me. And we all just deal with this constantly deferring, no, you're more important than me. Can you imagine the unselfishness and how what life would be like, and that's what he's calling us to, even as leaders, is that humility is a big deal. Look, anything good, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. There's no room for arrogance for people who know Jesus. There is no room for arrogance because every good thing in your life that you have, every gift that you have, you hear me? You have a, a talent or skill? You have that? You, I bet you do. It's a gift from him to be used for him. I go back to Colossians. Everything is a gift. It is made by him to be used for him. So your gifts, isn't because you just came up with it because you're just so awesome. It's because God gave you a gift. And so humility should be oozing out of us. It shouldn't be fake. We should view each other as more important than ourselves and than humility. When we see who Jesus is and what he's done, we got no room for arrogance. It's all because of him. So any gift that you have, let's be humble. It's never arrogance. He said, let them do this with joy and not groaning, or that would be of no advantage to you. So all of us in here, this is really a scripture for leaders, but it would be true for all of us. Hey, every one of us can complain about something. I can start right now. I could just give you a list and talk for the next 20 minutes about complaints I have. But what good is that to you? Who wants to be around somebody that complains? Oh, give me, just stick your scissors in my ears. I don't want to hear it but someone who is encouraging, right? Someone who is encouraging. Oh, I want to be around that. It's no advantage to you for us to sit around and complain. That's what the world does. Let's, be, let's lift each other up. Let's be encouraging. <clears throat> I said this in the first service. I'm going to say it again. This really is something true for me right now if I'm just being transparent with you. Um, some of us, because we have a lot to complain about right now, like legitimately you have some things going on in your life, and it's hard for you to find joy. It just is. And I, and I would say there are times in my life currently that I'm struggling in that just to find joy. Because some things are hard. Sometimes life is hard. Look, just because you know Jesus, he didn't promise your life was going to be easy. He said, you're going to have trouble. And just because you choose to leave your comfortable life sometimes and join him outside the camp does not mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be, there's going to be times in your life, we all know this, where there's so, so much uncertainty when you don't know what to do. When life's hard. When bad things come in your life. And it's in those moments that you have to fight for joy in your life. I'm going to fight for it. I'm not going to complain. I might find one person, let me vent a little bit, but then I'm back and God help me be joyful. Let me encourage. Let me fight for joy. And some of us in here, you've given up on fighting for joy. You've turned into 
just a grumpy old man or a grumpy old woman or whatever. And he's saying, man, fight for joy, fight for joy, fight for joy. Your life is to make much of Jesus. You're a complainer and whining all the time. Can't. It doesn't help anybody. But be fighting for joy. Ask Him to do that in your life. Uh, I hope that that would be true for all of us, that we would fight for joy. Whatever season of life that you're in, just fight for it. Fight for joy. Verse 18, pray for us that we, we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Oh, I could camp out here for a long time. Desiring to act honorably in all things. Let me ask you, are you acting honorably in all things in your life? In your social media posts? In your messaging, your private messaging? Are you, are you acting honorably? If Jesus were to see those messages, are you acting honorably? Are you lifting people up? Are you criticizing? Are you gossiping? Are you, is that acting honorably? What about your parenting? Is your parenting, are you doing your very best even when it gets really frustrating, when it's hard? Are you trying to do your best to act honorably? None of us are perfect, not ever going to be able to be perfect in that. In your, in your relationship with your spouse, are you acting honorably and lifting up your spouse instead of ripping her and ripping him and constantly just being critical of them? Are you honoring them doing the right thing in your workplace? Are you acting honorably? Are you having integrity in the workplace of doing the right thing when even no one will ever notice? Are you acting honorably in your home with your neighbors? Are you acting honorably in all things in your thought life? I heard a professor when I was in seminary who said this, when the thought, the negative, the really bad thought comes in your head, usually we always think of a lustful thought. When that lustful thought comes in or that really nasty thought of doing something to someone, revenge or what you think about, or that nasty thought just, boom, it just appears in your head. It's in that moment. Do you meditate on it or do you flee from it? Sin, is, sin happens when we start meditating on it. And so we act honorably to God and say, when that thought comes in, boop, where'd that come from? I don't know, but I'm running from it. And you put your mind on other things, things that are pure, things that are righteous, things that are holy. You run from those things. And so act honorably in your thought life as well. In all things, act honorably. In verse 19, I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. I don't have time to go into this, but I would just say this. Don't we all long for restoration in the church, in our world? I sat in a re-engaged testimony the other night, a few weeks ago which is an amazing ministry. I would encourage each of you, it doesn't matter what your, where your marriage is, where it's great or it's terrible, no matter where it is, re-engage is, is awesome and so helpful. So I encourage you, your spouses, hey, encourage each other. We need to be a part of that. Um, but I sat and listened to a testimony, and what I heard was over and over again was brokenness, 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 brokenness. And then I hear God's grace, His grace, His grace, His grace, over and over again. I long for restoration. To see restoration in a marriage is because of what Jesus has done in their life. I long for restoration in the church and in, um, in the world as well. One day he's going to make all things new. And now, verse 20, the last little bit, 20 and 21 I think it is. It's the most beautiful benediction probably in the Bible. And it says this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. May the God of peace, you, you know what, peace is not earned, it's received from a God who said, I'm going to give it to you. When I live in you, I give a peace that passes all understanding. When the uncertainty is rampant and you don't know what's going to happen, when you have problems in your life, he says, I can give you a peace that's supernatural. I can do that. And he says it right here in the benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives within me right now. He lives within you if you know him. That same power that said, Jesus, come out of the grave. That same power who raised Lazarus from the dead, it lives within you. Hello, that same power lives within you. And the, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews at the very end of it is reminding all of us, he lives in you. You have the same power because of him by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you, listen to this, that that God will equip you with everything, not some things, every single thing good that you may do his will. That you can do his will in all things. So, when you think about power over temptation, he's given you everything you need. He lives within you. That power over temptation, the power to step out in faith, the power to have his spirit dwell within you. All of those things. He equips you with everything that you need to do His will. 
And what's his will for your life? I don't know, but I know this. It's to make much of him. So what does that look like in your life? So many things, so many implications and applications for your life. He gives you, the, he gives you everything you need. He's equipped you with everything you need to do his will, to do his will. And then he ends up at the very end of the passage, in verse 25. Look at this. This is the end of the book. This is a picture of the gospel. Grace be with you all. Leave Judaism. It's all about grace. He's reminding them, he's reminding us, grace. Grace is given a gift you never deserved. Jesus gave life to you. He's reminding us. Let me wrap up Hebrews for us and go back to chapter 12. you got an actual physical Bible, look at chapter 12. This is so good. And I'm going to share this and share a story and I'll be done. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Boy, isn't that the truth? Sin that just entangles us and traps us and trips us. And then this, first, this part right here. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fix, I love the NIV, the way it says it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners. Listen to this. You see that? So that you will not grow weary or lose heart. That you persevere, that you run the race. That you run fixing your eyes on Jesus. That you look at him and say, my life, however long I have, it's going to be fixed on you. And I'm not going to grow weary. I'm going to continue to run. I'm going to run and persevere. I wish I had this picture from last night, but I don't. This is a picture from a while back. Man, you guys can come on up. This is from a walk-off home run. Our friend that preached a few weeks ago brought up the, the walk-off home run. This is from 2008. I think the Astros won on a walk-off home run last night. I don't care for the Astros, so I didn't want to put a picture of them anyway. Um, but I don't care either, none about these two teams. It was, it was the Nationals and the Cubs. 2018, David Bodie's at bat, at bat in the bottom of the night. The Cubs are down to Washington, 3-0. to zero. The bases are loaded. He's got a 2-2 count and two outs. Y'all know baseball at all? It's like it's down to pretty much it. This is it. David Bodie is up at the plate. Pitcher Brian Madsen winds, delivers a smoking fastball, 95 miles an hour, low and down the middle with a 2-2 count. Two outs, bases loaded, down 3-0. And he swings, David Bodie swings, makes contact, and crushes it over the center field wall. He flips the bat, and he runs. He runs with purpose. He has his eyes on home, looking at home as he rounds first base, looking back. He knows what awaits him. The battle's over. The game has already been won. I had a friend who tweeted this picture back then, and I kept it, and it's made me think often about this. And when I see walk-off home runs, he said this, I collect images of walk-off home run hitters rounding third base because they're images of heaven. Think about heaven. I'm taking a lot of liberty here, I know, because the Word doesn't say this exactly, but I dream about this in my head. Of those, you think about those who've gone ahead of you, who are believers, who are in heaven right now. And for me, very quickly, it comes to my mom. It's my dad. Who've gone on. And I can just picture my own mother who's been gone six years. Next Saturday, he'll be gone six years. She's likely decorating something or tending to a garden or something like that. And one of the angels comes in and whispers and says, Hey, your son's, your son's here. And he's running. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. He's running the race. He's been running. And he's here. And you go to my dad and say the same thing. Hey, your son, you ain't seen him since he was a little boy. You didn't even know him. But he's been running with Jesus. And he's here. And then all their family and friends who have gone on, believers, and other people that I might have known, and they hear about me coming, and they hear about you coming. 
And there's Jesus in the middle of all that. You see the crowd celebrating. So he's been running. He's fixed his eyes on Jesus and he's here. Man, that motivates me. When I look at a picture like that, it motivates me. When I think about Hebrews 12, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Persevere in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of life being really difficult, in the midst of your own sin. To say, I'm going to stop being distracted. I'm going to run to Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Him. I'm fix my eyes on Jesus and not grow weary in doing good. I'm going to fix my eyes on Him, keep my eyes on Him, and run to him, and then one day run into his arms where he will say to me, and he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased with you and how you ran the race. You persevered in the midst of a lot of junk that went on in your life, a lot of setbacks, and a lot of things that weren't easy. But you persevered. And I'm so proud of you. So pleased with you. And that's what I want for my life. I hope you want the same thing. Some of you don't even know Jesus this morning. At the end of the service, I'm going to be down here. I would love to talk with you, to introduce you to him. Not some magical prayer, but you can just begin a relationship with him. I'd be happy to do that. And for the rest of us, if you know Jesus, could it be that you've been distracted in your walk with Christ? And today it's like, man, I gotta, I've been too consumed with the things of this world. And today, on this rainy Sunday in October, i got to fix my eyes on Jesus. The author, he's the perfecter, he's the pioneer of my faith. He's the reason I live, and I gotta fix my eyes on him. So this morning we're gonna sing. Let's stand. Let's go ahead and stand. We're gonna sing. And you can respond. And certainly at the end of the service, we'll be down here this morning. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.